Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. Before we start, I would like to ask you listeners for a favor. If you listen to The Dirt and enjoy the show we make, it would mean so much to us if you'd leave us a review and some stars in multiples of five on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It makes a big difference in helping us get seen by the podcast apps, which helps other listeners find us. So if you have a minute, go do that after this episode ends, or now, if you want, you can pause us whenever you want. It's a podcast. Yeah. So you back? You good? You comfy? Got earbuds in? Great. So if you're one of our amazing patrons, um, you already will have read our main newsletter, which... Everyone on Patreon gets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you think you know what this episode is going to be. <laughs> but we'll have looked at the title and gone, what? Yeah. yeah. be like, oh, no. <laughs> it's not a time warp. We changed things up a little bit. So, we did. Um, that's next week. So no spoilies for everyone else. <laughs> so everyone else. Um, so everyone else is like, what's going on? So this week. We um, can't tell you. This week, actually, uh, we are venturing into the Amazon Basin. Basin? Basin. I mean, say it however you want. Basin. Um, Or, (laughs) if you like, the Amazon Drainage Basin, uh, which is also accurate. I don't like that at all. But I do like the archaeology (laughs) of this region. (laughs) Do you like my transition? You don't like the word drainage? I just don't, no, I don't. Turns out. Drainage. Hop on my segue and ride swiftly away. I do like the archaeology of this region, which indicates that people have been living here, adapting to this place, and changing the landscape itself for a very long time. But before we get into that, we should talk about the place itself. Because as listeners to the past few episodes might know, sometimes I don't know how to map. (laughs) So I thought I would um, establish our our location in space and and time, as it turns out. This is a real like cartographer find thyself situation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it weren't for that little blinky blue dot on my on my phone's map, I don't know. The Amazon Basin is the part of South America drained by the Amazon River and its tributaries. The river system is vast, covering around 2.4 million square miles. How big is the planet even? It's That's so big. Or about 35.5% of the whole South American continent. Most of the basin is covered in dense rainforest with a tremendously biodiverse ecosystem, which is in constant danger from deforestation by people who want the area for farmland and other mass production reasons. Amber just threw her phone. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> so if you've texted me, 
Now you know what happens. (laughs) Okay. The Amazon River is apparently the disputed second longest river in the world. So they're tied for a second. I would like to know who is disputing and when do they meet to fight about it. and, And like with whom do they file this? So, but... The Amazon stretches way up into the Andes, the mountains, in Peru, um, across most of the top half of South America, if northern half, um, so, you know, the wider part, and out into the Atlantic Ocean. The Amazon was initially known to Europeans as the Marañón. See. And the Peruvian part of the river is still known by that name today. It later became known as the Rio Amazonas in Spanish and Portuguese and Amazon River in English. (laughs) Thank you for saying Um, that like a computer. (laughs) Amazon River. Um, However, there are others who insist that the name is derived from the Native American word. I'm not familiar with that language family. Um, Amazona, <laughs> meaning boat destroyer. Uh, yeah, I I found this in exactly one place with zero other sources or citations. So probably not. For a little bit more on the history of the name, we've got this article over on culturetrip.com by Alex Robinson, who says... The Amazon is a continent of landscapes. Aren't they all? A flowing sea of myriad streams and lakes holding one-fifth of all the world's running water and the home of myriad tribes. Alongside rainforests are tabletop mountains, savannas, and igapo swamps where fish eat fruit from the branches of trees. Nope. (laughs) Not. Not for you. Nope. No, thank you. Nope. (laughs) That's why I put sorry, Amber, in brackets. As soon as I realized that you'd be the one reading that. I'm sorry. The first Europeans to come here were so awestruck, they could only describe the Amazon in mythological terms, which is probably how it got its name. Or they just wrote, nope. Nope. (laughs) The first European to clap eyes on the Amazon was the Spanish conquistador Francisco de Oriana, who stumbled on the great wilderness by accident in 1542. He had been recruited by Gonzalo Pizarro, so uh, Francisco's brother. Francisco Pizarro was basically the one who destroyed Peru. Okay, well, we've got too many Francisco. We've got Francisco confusion in this paragraph. Francisco de Oriana is a different person from Francisco Pizarro. Pizarro, brother of Francisco Pizarro, ruiner of Peru. Correct. Uh, To join an army that in 1541 set out to explore the forests of eastern Ecuador in search of cinnamon and gold. Uh, Pizarro had reports from indigenous Andean peoples of lands beyond the mountains, rich with spices and precious metals. Yeah, like, not here, go somewhere else. The idea of Europeans kind of blundering through the rainforest might seem sort of like a cartoonish one, but really um, rainforests are really, really interesting because despite their immense biodiversity, it's actually really hard to find reliable sources of food there unless you really know what you're doing or you have a guide. Um, and, and these explorers slash colonizers really didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. As, as we will see now. Yeah. 
And so after nearly a year of wandering the forests, finding nothing but water and trees, fish sort of the definition of a rainforest. Um, And with half his army dead from starvation and disease, Pizarro dispatched Oriana downstream at the modern-day River Cosa, together with 60 men and all of the firearms, to find provisions. Oriana never returned to Pizarro, but he did get back to Spain. Yep. After a week of fruitless drifting along the Coca and then the Napo, seven of Oriana's crew had died of starvation. The rest were on the verge of mutiny. Can't think why. They forced Oriana to continue east. It was then that they met their first tribe, the Irimarai, uh, probably the modern Tacuna, who after initial panic embraced the gaunt Spaniards, fed them, clothed them, helped them build new boats, and dispatched them into the Amazon River itself. Just get. (laughs) Get on out of here. (laughs) Further east still, the Spanish met the Machiparo, who reared giant fish in artificial lagoons. I love that for them, but I no don't thank like you. giant fish either. Like in a in a, I don't want to stand next to them. And another group that had what the author describes as an advanced lowland civilization. So roads radiated out from the villages. Storehouses were abundantly stocked with cotton, maize, manioc, and glazed pottery that the Spaniards declared was superior to any found in Europe. On June 3rd, 1542, the expedition reached the mouth of a black river, which they called the Rio Negro. <laughs> near, so creative. So near, near modern day Manaus, a name that survives to this day. It was here that the Amazon Association began, when Oriana's men encountered a tribe who erected giant jaguar totems in homage to their rulers, who they said were a tribe of fierce women. Oriana referred to them as Amazons, after the legendary female warriors of Asia Minor written about by Herodotus and Homer. Further downstream, they were attacked by a dozen of these South American Amazons, probably Tapuya, whom Gaspar de Cavajal, Cavajal, the expedition's chronicler, described as, quote, very white and tall, with very long hair braided and wound around their heads. They are very robust and go naked with their private parts covered, and their bows and arrows in their hands, doing as much fighting as ten Indian men, end quote. Oriana eventually made it to the river's mouth, to Venezuela, and eventually back to Spain. When Dick Carvajal's expedition chronicles became famous, so did the myth of the South American warrior women. Eventually, the region was named in their honor. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, to live in the Amazonian forests, you need to be familiar with its plant and animal species. And that's the kind of knowledge that gets built up over generations. Some estimates put the first human settlements in the Amazon at 32,000 to 39,000 years ago. And since that time, Amazonian people have developed lifestyles that are suited to the limitations of the environment. So when did people get to the Americas? <laughs> we need to have an episode about that because uh, it's an evolving debate, but it seems like around now, the time we're talking about 32,000 to 39,000. It's It can be argued that people have been in the Amazon as long as people have been in the Americas at all. I think so. Yeah. Within a few thousand years, definitely. But they kind of ended up there quite quickly. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And, and granted my, my expertise on this is extremely limited, but I I think my understanding is that that's around the time 
um, when the first evidence for people in general is there in South America. Yeah. This information I got from (laughs) the World Wildlife Foundation is part of it because they talk about the Amazonian region since a lot of it's endangered, but the URL is www.panda.org. It's a little misleading. Um, And then also a website uh, that's educational resources about the indigenous people of the Amazon called ascentoftheamazon.com. Big sniffs. Big sniffs. hmm? Not a scent of the Amazon. So that's where this information comes from. But typically in this region, local game includes wildlife found close to rivers, such as fish, turtles, capybara, and crocodiles. Until recently, blowguns, arrows tipped with poison, and spears were commonplace to hunt down game, but these weapons have been increasingly replaced by guns when they can be afforded. Hunter-gatherer groups were once generally nomadic, living in small temporary settlements for four to five years until all the natural resources were exhausted and then they moved on. Although this isn't the only way of life that people adopted in this region, and we will get to that. And so from not a scent of the Amazon, but a scent of the Amazon. Amazonia is now very sparsely populated. There are scattered settlements inland, but most of the population lives in a few larger cities on the banks of the Amazon and other major rivers, such as in Iquitos and Pucaipa in Peru and Manaus, Santarém, and Belém in Brazil. Historically, we know of hundreds of indigenous tribes in the Amazon rainforest, but many indigenous groups of South America have disappeared or been torn apart by the colonization process, disease, alcohol, forced labor, war, deforestation, mining, and agricultural development. For many hundreds of years, the Amazon rainforest was a giant refuge for the indigenous population. There are still over 200 indigenous groups in the Amazon rainforest, speaking 180 different languages, each with their own cultural heritage. There are still 30 different language families in the Amazon rainforest, and like the flora and fauna, the cultural diversity in the region is very high, making it an even more rich and interesting part of the world. And that's something that um, is sort of true around the world it's places with very high biodiversity also have very high cultural and linguistic diversity mm-hmm. um i don't know why but that's just something that's very it's just very interesting like places that are like very like dense and rich with life um are that way with aspects of human life too yeah the indigenous population is estimated to be around three hundred and ten thousand people Around 280,000 of these people reside within areas specifically designated as preserves. There are 160 different individual societies within the borders of the Brazilian Amazon that speak 195 different languages. Wow. Despite their traditional settlement of the rainforest within Brazil, their legal and constitutional rights only provide them with about 20% of the land within the Brazilian Amazon. In a study by a consortium of U.S. and Brazilian researchers, deforestation rates within indigenous protected areas were smaller compared to unprotected lands, signifying that indigenous lands could serve as important repositories for threatened species and could be used in conjunction with conservation efforts. We talked about um, a long time ago the fairly recent creation of a um, a treatise, like a, a mm-hmm. big repository of indigenous medicinal knowledge from a particular indigenous group. And I don't remember. We talked group, about, but. we talked about that on old news because it had been ah. published. It was an encyclopedia. It was a pharmacological mm-hmm. encyclopedia of traditional 
medical knowledge. It wasn't so much derived as it was representative of local indigenous traditions. Yes. Like it was, it's not yeah, translated. Yeah. It's not, it's sort of, it was captured it was a collection of for knowledge. and by these communities mm-hmm. because they're becoming more fragmented and, um, and the people who have the, the, the passed on knowledge are dying out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Chisame people of the Bolivian Amazon use about 20% of all plants in the area for medicinal purposes and 47 different local species. Tropical botanists often rely on local knowledge to classify and identify native plant species, linking cultural and traditional medicinal use of Amazon species to the worlds of science and conservation today. And since this is a very diverse area, there's no monolithic Amazonian culture or Amazonian religion. So that's not something that we're going to get into. Instead, we're going to take a quick ad break and then get into some archaeological findings that add incredibly important nuance to the overall picture of what life was like in the Amazon for some of its inhabitants. It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Okay, we are back. And our descriptions of the Amazonian region as a biologically diverse but hardly a limitless buffet table may have conjured a picture of hunter-gatherers barely eking out an existence in an unforgiving environment, just sec breaths away from falling into a river and a giant fish eating them. Thinking that they're fruit. This fruit got legs. The most dangerous fruit. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Uh, for that type of story, maybe stick to the white explorer guys who came charging in and prepared into the rainforest to discover stuff and exploit it. Um, but we'll be talking <laughs> more about that for this month's Deep Cuts. Amber watched a movie. Did you no. watch it already? No, I haven't watched it already, but I was the magic of radio. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm a magic ruiner. <laughs> uh No. The indigenous groups of the Amazon were much more in touch with their landscape and, in many cases, altered it to suit their needs. So, humans changing their environment. That's what we do. Imagine. So, here is one example from a recently published archaeological survey, which comes to us via live science. Billions of lasers. (laughs) (laughs) 
There is only one way to say that that <laughs> phrase, and you have to say it like that. Billions of lasers shot from a helicopter flying over the Brazilian Amazon rainforest have detected a vast network of long-abandoned circular and rectangular-shaped villages dating from 1300 to 1700 CE, a new study finds. The round villages all had remarkably similar layouts, with elongated mounds circling a central plaza, like marks on a clock. The researchers wrote in the study, quote, These latter elongated mounds, when seen from above, look like the rays of the sun, which gives them the common name of... Sois. Is that it? Is that Portuguese? That's my best. Is that the Portuguese word for sons? I do not speak Portuguese. It could be... Sois. Sons. <laughs> the discovery is part of a new archaeological focus on the pre-Columbian Amazon. Within the past 20 years, researchers have learned that the rainforest's southern rim was home to a great diversity of soil sculpting cultures that engineered the landscape before the Europeans arrived. Within the past decade, scientists have uncovered the remnants of so-called mound villages, which are shaped as circles or rectangles and connected by road networks. Archaeologists, however, had yet to look for mound villages in the Brazilian state of... Uh, it's Acre. Acre. Yeah. So, I, Google still won't let me put in accent marks. State of Acre. How is that the case? It's a thing on your keyboard. I know. And I can tell my keyboard to do it. I hold down the E and it says, do you want one through seven? Which E do you want? And I select the E and then it just goes, no. Sounds like an Anna problem. Oh, it, it very well could be, but... Uh, so an international group of researchers teamed up to survey the area with LIDAR, or light detection and ranging. With this technique, billions of lasers shot from overhead, in this case from a helicopter, penetrate the rainforest canopy and map the landscape below. The LIDAR survey, combined with satellite data, revealed a remarkable 25 circular mound villages and 11 rectangular mound villages, the researchers said. Another 15 mound villages were so poorly preserved they could not be categorized as either circular or rectangular, the team added. They're just lumpy. Lump villages. Um, the circular mound villages had an average diameter of 282 feet, that's 86 meters, while the rectangular villages tended to be smaller, with an average length of 148 feet, about 45 meters. Further analysis of the sun villages revealed that they had carefully planned roads. Each circular mound village had two principal roads that were wide and deep, so up to 20 feet or 6 meters across, with high banks and smaller minor roads that led to nearby streams. Most of the villages were close to each other, just about 3 miles, so 4.4 kilometers, um, apart, the researchers found, the principal roads often connected one village to another. Tends to be what roads do. Creating a vast <laughs> community and network in the forest, in the rainforest. The distinctive and consistent way indigenous people arranged these villages suggests that they have had, that they had specific social models for the way they organized their communities. And it's even possible that this configuration was meant to represent the cosmos. Um, but like, okay, like yeah. I mean, that's fine. We don't, that's we don't great. need to like. We don't. We don't need to ascribe like a ritual meaning to it. No, too. Like, you don't, it doesn't need to be cosmological. It's awesome enough on its own. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, 
Uh, the intricate road system, however, um, is described by the researchers as, quote, hardly a surprise for Amazonian archaeologists, end quote. Um, <laughs> continuing to say, quote, early historical accounts attest to the ubiquity of road networks across the Amazon. They are mentioned since the 16th century account of the Spanish Dominican missionary, Friar Gaspar de Carvajal, who observed wide roads leading from the riverine villages to the interior. Uh, end quote. Um, later in the 18th century, uh, another colonizer described a vast population inhabiting the region with villages connected by straight wide roads that were constantly kept clean. Um, which, like, it doesn't have to be a surprise that people who are not white and European should things. It shouldn't be a surprise. No, it shouldn't be a surprise. Um, <laughs> um, no, it shouldn't be a surprise that people have been there for a long time. It shouldn't be a surprise that people who have been there for a long time have done stuff to make the space better, and yep. and that's sort what, of this like humans do lack of of um, willingness to accept that like perhaps all groups of humans. What, like indigenous indigenous communities are human communities, Imagine. and and like indigenous communities are capable of city planning, even if it isn't the same thing as like Western city planning. Yeah. But we continue. Life science. Little is known about the culture practiced by the people in these mound villages. Maybe because we didn't look into it. Mm. Uh, but the preliminary research suggests that this culture ceramics were cruder than most of the culture that preceded them, known as the geoglyphs, <laughs> um, who lived in that region from about 400 BCE to 950 CE. Yeah, and so in reading that article and selecting pieces for the script, I found that mention of geoglyphs, and then the article said nothing further about them. Um, so I, yes. Do you remember from... <laughs> do you remember? Don't. Okay. Uh, do, you, do you remember... Um, this isn't September. This is October. Um, do you remember in Spooktober last year when we talked about the hands head burial? Yep, just hands and head. Just hands, hands and head. Hands on hands on head. Heads on hands on head. Um, yep. that was from Acre. Yes, I do remember that. Do mm -hmm. you remember when? I mean, I think <laughs> it was pre-contact. Was well, yeah. Okay. No, it was very old. Like, but I was just trying to. I think it was before any of this. I think it was, okay. I would think it was before it was, it was pre-oglyphs. I think it was before. The I geoglyphs. see what you did. Yeah. yeah. No, okay. I was just trying yeah. to, I was just trying to like pull their little threads together, make a little, little, little bit perfect. of yarn, little, little bit of yarn. yarn. Uh, well, <laughs> I will continue spinning that yarn, but okay. also go check out our episodes from last October. <laughs> the one, it was about hands. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's just about hands. Yep. Just about hands. Hands. Okay. So this article from Life Science teased the geoglyph people, question mark, uh, and then made no further mention of them. So I went down a rabbit hole, which was not really a rabbit hole, very much a surface find, because so, I googled geoglyphs Amazon and found this piece, also from Live Science by Charles Choi from 2018. Did you find them? Did you find the, the geoglyphs? They're mysterious. Mysterious geoglyphs and a host of other earthworks in the Amazon rainforest suggest that the now sparsely populated region was home to up to one million people before the arrival of Columbus. Whoa! First of all, that's a lot of people. 
Second of all, Columbus didn't arrive there. No, he didn't get anywhere near the Amazon rainforest. (laughs) Um, Still. But he he was the first domino in an elaborate display of little genocide dominoes. And yep, your point is well taken, Charles Choi. Yes. Amazonia is often thought of as pristine nature. But over the past few decades, archaeologists have discovered evidence of numerous large, complex societies, imagine, that may have inhabited Amazonia before the arrival of Columbus, who never actually got there. Although these newfound discoveries contrast with the small Amazonian societies anthropologists studied in the 20th century, they are in line with initial eyewitness accounts of Europeans from the 16th and 17th centuries. Can we we pause to unpack that? Yep, mm -hmm, sure can. (laughs) So, Columbus didn't didn't get there, but was close enough, I guess, uh, to there at the end of the 15th century. Yeah, 1492 and 3 and 4. Yep. The end of the 15th century. Mm -hmm. Um, So then in the 16th and 17th century a bunch of Spanish and then Portuguese dudes show up and are like, it's all these people. It's all these people here. Wow. A little cascade. Most, the little, ones who said that were the, were the friars and missionaries that they brought with them, writing in their little codices going, yeah. Just look at these people. Look at all these people. Look at all these souls. Little, little cascade, cascade, little genocide dominoes, cascade. Um, and then we get to the 20th century where anthropologists are out there meeting people, mixing it up, um, ethnographing them. And they're like, oh, they're so small. These small populations. Let me pull up my and ethnographing calculator. <laughs> uh, um, and they're just like, there are really a lot of people in here. Who are these people? And then saying like, I assume there's never really been a lot of people here because it kind of kind of sucks out here why don't disciplines talk like, to each other like that's not even like the the historians yeah. surely knew about the 16th and 17th century reports but then they just went away the this people passed yeah they, they just went away i just i just wanted to take a step back and really like really drive that home that's just sort yeah of like no it's that's useful amazing amazing how we managed to go from those well, white people to like there were never people messed up (laughs) it is messed up and i think maybe some of it well i don't i don't know there's a lot of problems but maybe some of it has to do with sort of drive to discover things and so if you choose to disregard the information that perhaps shows that there were all those people and then you suddenly find other lines of evidence that show there were all those people presenting it as i get yeah i guess this is a like punchier shall we uh let's return to these geoglyphs study lead author jonas gregorio de souza an archaeologist at the university of exeter in england says quote the geoglyphs and i don't know if jonas is referring to the people or no this is this seems to just be about the things the the the, like monuments or the structures yep yeah the other article seemed to refer to as if it were like you know I think you found grayware people. Yeah. Um, 
So the the study lead author says, despite the impressive architecture of these features and the effort and planning that must have been involved in their construction, archaeologists have actually found very few remains of habitation inside the enclosures. That means they were probably not settlements, and the most likely explanation is that they were used for ceremonial gatherings, although their exact function is still a mystery. The researchers used satellite images to discover 81 new archaeological sites. Look at all these people in the upper Tapajos Basin. The Tapajos is a major tributary of the Amazon with a total of 104 earthworks. This suggests that there is no gap in the network of earthworks spanning across Amazonia's southern rim. So while we can't talk about a monolithic culture or religion, or even a single people living in the Amazon basin, it's very clear that long before Europeans arrived, despite how surprised archaeologists and anthropologists repeatedly seem to be about this, there was a large and thriving population of indigenous people here with a complex social network that extended over a huge area. And this is the kind of thing that we love to talk about on the show, because it's so important to give people who might have the perception mentioned earlier that the Amazon is this pristine space and the people living in it are backwards or primitive in some way. No, these people were arguably every bit as socially complex as any of the other civilizations in Mezzo or South America. Um, And along with the show notes that we will have that we specified life science and the other articles, we will also have a, a link to a prospective project report from Harvard University that talks about some ongoing research in the area. It sounds yeah. very cool. Well, and also I just want to clarify, quick clarification for everybody mm-hmm. here, uh, that um, the preceding two stories that we that we just shared are in no way connected to each other. So no. Tapajos is in, the Tapajos River runs through central basically central Brazil and Acre state is in the far west of Brazil. And Brazil's really big. Brazil's quite large. So these geoglyphs, not same, same. So who knows who the geoglyphs are? Um, We don't. Yeah. I don't think we can ascribe that name of those things to just one people, but it seems like a lot of people were very interconnected all the way across this region. Um, Yeah. So let's take one more quick break and then back to the archaeology. This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for motion. With motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com slash motion. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts. We've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality T-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com slash shop. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop, and click on the link. Well, welcome back to the archaeology. Um, and now, and along the same lines of like, hey, people got pretty good at living here. Uh, these thousands of years. 
Here's uh, something from a 2018 study covered by Science Daily. That's how I like my science. I will be quoting this. Farmers had a more profound effect on the supposedly untouched rainforest than previously thought, including introducing crops to new areas, boosting the number of edible tree species, and using fire to improve the nutrient content of soil, experts have found. The study is the first detailed history of long-term human land use and fire management in this region conducted by archaeologists, paleoecologists, botanists, and ecologists. It shows how early Amazon farmers used the land intensively and expanded the types of crops grown without continuously clearing new areas of the forest for farming when soil nutrients became depleted. The research team examined charcoal, pollen, and plant remains from soil and archaeological sites and sediments from a nearby lake to trace the history of vegetation and fire in eastern Brazil. This provided evidence that maize, sweet potato, manioc, and squash were farmed as early as 4,500 years ago in this part of the Amazon. Farmers increased the amount of food they grew by improving the nutrient content of the soil through burning and the addition of manure and food waste. Compost. Yes. Fish and turtles from rivers were also a key part of the diets at the time. The findings explain why forests around current archaeological sites in the Amazon have a higher concentration of edible plants. Uh, Dr. Yoshi Maizumi from the University of Exeter, who led the study, said, quote, People thousands of years ago developed a nutrient-rich soil called Amazonian dark earths. Ooh, or AIDS. Well, unfortunately, just saying AIDS into a microphone is kind of a bummer. Oh, well, see, I'm reading it, so I'm thinking, limeade, lemonade. Yeah, I know. No, I know. Brandy. But I heard it, and I went, eh. No. <laughs> Adez. They farmed in a way that it, which involved continuous enrichment and reusing of the soil, rather than expanding the amount of land they clear-cut for farming. This was a much more sustainable way of farming, end quote. The development of ADEs, allowed the expansion of maize and other crops, usually only grown near nutrient-rich lake and river shores, to be farmed in other areas that generally have very poor soils. This increased the amount of food available for the growing Amazon population at the time. Dr. Meizumi commented, quote, This is a very different use of the land to that of today, where large areas of land in the Amazon is cleared and planted for industrial-scale grain, soybean farming, and cattle grazing. We hope modern conservationists can learn lessons from indigenous land use in the Amazon to inform management decisions about how to safeguard modern forests, end quote. Professor Jose Irate from the University of Exeter said, quote, the work of early farmers in the Amazon has, less, has left an enduring legacy. The way indigenous communities managed the land thousands of years ago still shapes modern forest ecosystems. This is important to remember as modern deforestation and agricultural plantations expand across the Amazon basin, coupled with the intensification of drought severity driven by warming global temperatures. End quote. Yeah, another example of indigenous land management practices being extremely useful in particular environments. Cool. And finally, 
an example of life in the Amazon from burials, which is amazing since rainforests are really tough environments for preservation. Lots of humidity, soils full of microcritters, they tend to be very acidic soils, so not great for burial preservation. But as we'll see in this circumstance, there were other factors at play. And Megan Gannon, who wrote this for Smithsonian Magazine in 2019, does a wonderful job of telling this story. We'll have this link posted on the show notes, but just a quick warning, if you do click on this, there are images of human remains in the article. So Megan Gannon writes, quote, With a name like Treasure Island, Bolivia's Isla del Tesoro isn't what you'd expect. First, the island isn't really an island at all. Okay. but a landlocked forested mound about a quarter of the area of a football field that rises slightly from the tropical lowlands of the Bolivian Amazon. The place is only encircled by water when seasonal rains flood the surrounding savanna. And second, no buried gold or chests of jewels have been found there. Isla del Tesoro's treasure is much more subtle. I'm, I'm more of a subtle treasure myself. No. Archaeologists and earth scientists have been investigating Isla del Tesoro over the last decade, and they found a 10,600-year-old garbage dump filled with layers and layers of snail shells, animal bones, and charcoal from campfires, which have accumulated over several millennia. Now, the researchers have more direct evidence that the forest island was created by humans, the remains of a person who was buried intentionally at the site at least 6,300 years ago. The grave is one of five human burials that were recently uncovered in the artificial forest islands of Bolivia's Llanos de Mojos region, according to a study published in Science Advances. Um, also, the idea of of forest islands that are created for for uh, sort of land management or farming purposes is just so cool. I just saw um, a headline about the, them being found in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, interesting. Um, that there are sort of forest islands that have been, um, that were that managed, managed or, by yeah. indigenous communities that um, had been living there. Yeah. Well, we know that there are, there were um, in that region, there were clam gardens. We've mm -hmm. talked about the clam gardens. I love a clam garden. Okay. In the Amazon lowlands, researchers rarely find burials or any archaeological remains from the period before ceramics were developed. The acidic soil and tropical climate often prevent the preservation of human remains or artifacts, but the abundance of calcium carbonate from the shells helped to preserve the newly uncovered burial sites. They uh, added a base to the acidic soil and kind of neutralized it. Oh. And, uh, yeah. Okay. The burials and refuse heaps attest that hunter-gatherers occupied this region earlier than archaeologists had expected. People on the move generally don't build landfills or bury their dead in specific places. And the archaeological evidence on the Llanos de Mojos forest islands offers new insight into the ways hunter-gatherers were able to permanently alter the landscape, creating seasonal settlements before the dawn of agriculture. The Llanos de Mojos, a tropical savanna in northern Bolivia, attracts archaeologists because agricultural societies built an extensive network of ceremonial mounds, raised fields, roads, and canals in the region beginning around 2,500 years ago. Study co-author Umberto Lombardo, a geographer and earth scientist at the University of Bern, says he was particularly intrigued by the forest islands that stuck out of the landscape, saying, quote, 
When I first surveyed Isla del Tesoro in 2007, I was completely lost. I could not imagine what that was. I thought it had to be anthropogenic, meaning coming from people making it, because I could not think of any natural process that could create such a deposit. However, it was only after the lab analyses that I started realizing that these islands not only were anthropogenic, but actually far older than any other known archaeological remains in the whole region. End quote. Scientists think that during the rainy season, when the Llanos de Mojos flooded, people camped out on the forest islands, collecting snails, swamp eels, sorry bud, catfish, and other creatures from the surrounding wetlands. I'm so sorry. I know you don't like eels. I don't like swamps either. Oh, God. Don't go to the Llanos de Mojos. Well, I'll just, I'll go there when it's dry. (laughs) Just leathery eels. (laughs) Need to moisturize. The forest islands were probably not intentional earthworks, but rather were created as people kept returning to the same high ground camps over and over again between 10,600 and 4,000 years ago. Researchers so they're, now they're know. Tells. They are tells, essentially. Yeah. Rainforest tells. Researchers now know that the invention of agriculture wasn't a single event occurring in the Middle East's Fertile Crescent hey, and spreading to other regions. Rather, farming was independently developed in several different places around the globe at different times. Lombardo says that based on genetic evidence, many scholars think southwestern Amazonia was one of the earliest centers of plant domestication in South America. The region may have been a hotspot for crops like manioc, sweet potatoes, wild rice, chili peppers, and peanuts, for all of which I'm very grateful. I'm hungry. Some of the behaviors observed on the Llanos de Mojos forest islands could even have laid the groundwork for farming, the research team says. For example, the increased consumption of low-return foods like snails, because <laughs> they're slow, they don't they don't reproduce quickly, <laughs> so if you eat them all, there's going to be no snails. Ah, for some reason, that's just very... Uh, it suggests the foragers may have started to deplete some of their other food resources, because snails aren't what you go to first, I guess. Intentional burials could also be a sign of increased territoriality and decreased mobility, driving foragers to begin experimenting with agriculture. Is your child experimenting with agriculture? (laughs) Although the study brings fresh understanding of the early foragers, our knowledge, globally, still contains gaps regarding how these populations became farmers, which the discovery of additional sites could fill. And so as the authors note, quote, there is encouraging evidence that new sites with longer sequences will soon be discovered to enable in-depth study of the emergence of agricultural societies. Neat. Well, there you have it, listener. Were you amazed? Were you? (laughs) Um, There is certainly some really incredible archaeology being done in this region, um, which now you've had just a little, little tiny sample of. A little nibble. Um, but, um, perhaps these are the types of trends that, um, shouldn't come as such a surprise or perhaps the media should stop describing as such a surprise. And that's the incredible thing about Homo sapiens is that we are very adaptable wherever in the world humans end up. We get as much as we can out of the local landscape, and if there's more to be had, we alter the landscape itself to survive. And so we hope you've enjoyed learning about how people did that in this particular part of the world. Yeah, and so we'll be back in your ears next week with a new episode that our patrons know about, um, which you can find 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or wherever else you like to listen. Maybe you just want an RSS feed and just put it in your own app. Yeah. That's fine. I don't care. Uh, do it. Not your mom. <laughs> We're also on social media where we post other archaeological news stories, dumb jokes, memes, and pet photos. You want to see all that? You can go to Facebook and we're the Dirt Podcast. Go to Twitter and we're at Dirt Podcast. And on Instagram, we're at the Dirt Pod. You can get all of that together, plus merch, plus our syllabus for educators, plus other stuff um, at our website, thedirtpod.com. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Goodbye. Bye. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at arcpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.